0: All right, listen, folks, we're real excited, excited tonight. Um, I, I, I I'll tell you a quick little vignette. So, I'm at the National Fire Academy. And, matter of fact, every time I went to the National Fire Academy, um, we would be in the middle of day two or day three, and this this very well dressed gentleman would walk in. He didn't have a suit, a uh, sport jacket on, but he would be just tie and everything. And and the first thing he'd ask us is, How's the food? <laughs> so, uh, good good. Do you like it? Do you like the way it's laid out? And then we would talk about the hot water and was there hot water? And then we would talk about, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And the next thing you know, the entire class is completely engaged in this conversation with the boss, with the director, with the superintendent of the National Fire Academy. And then then he says, what do you want us to do? What can we do for you to make this um, situation, you know, your class experience better? And where do you want us to go? And, and it wasn't a, a BS session. He literally, since he could take over the class as long as he wanted to, he would, he would take, take that part, but he was taking this all in. And, and over the years, we would see those changes that we talked about in those classes and that went a a long way for legitimatizing the the academy. And then, uh, and then of course, uh, superintendent O'Neill's, you know, his, his reputation and his ability to get down to brass tacks and ask you what you want to do. I've run into him in airports. I've run into him everywhere and anywhere. Fire rated things and fire, not fire related things. And Dennis has always been a sweetheart and uh open and and very inviting so i invited him to come here so i i really want to thank you for coming um uh, what i what i would like to do is because we i don't think everybody has your back an idea of your background uh jamie has always did a real good uh job of kind of laying out what we could find out from from the public view of you but let's let's talk about what where did you start as a rookie what 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 the bomb were you in
1: I was in Jersey city, um, kind of a, kind of a funny story. Um, my dad was in the job and, uh, I had come home from the army and he, uh, had an admit maybe six months after I got home, he had an application for the fire department and he said, here, fill this out. And of course I was just so happy to be home and taking advantage of probably things I shouldn't be doing. Um, and, um, just partying all the time and I didn't fill it out. So after, you know, did you fill it out? Okay. Yeah. Dad, I will. So finally he filled it out. He said, here, sign this. And he made me sign it and he mailed it in. And um, I went out and I took the test and there were a bunch of guys that I was hanging around with. And at the time it was a police test and a fire test It was the same, same test, same day. And um, I was the only one that showed up on the list. And uh, when I raised my right hand to be a firefighter in Jersey city, I wouldn't go up a stepladder. I wouldn't go up a step stool. And uh, I was afraid of heights. And um, I, I wound up going on the job on a ladder company. I spent 15 years on a ladder company uh, as a firefighter, a lieutenant, and a captain. And uh, my claim to fame is I never got a pint of water out of a pumper in my life. <laughs> I spent all of my time on truck companies. So, um, you know, I was just fortunate that I hit, hit it at the right time.
0: Now, Jersey City is close to the New York City, right?
1: Right. Right at the other end of the Holland Tunnel. I mean, I don't care. If you fly over that area in a helicopter and you look down at the Statue of Liberty, you realize that the Statue of Liberty is actually in Jersey City. Don't believe those lying New Yorkers. <laughs> okay. no, very cool.
0: So then, so you would up retiring from Jersey City.
1: Yeah, I went up through the ranks, um, you know, lieutenant captain, battalion deputy and then uh, around October of 94, the chief retired. It was a chief was a civil service job. So they may be acting chief because there was no civil service test scheduled. And uh, in the in the interim, a friend of mine called me up and asked me to apply for the superintendent's job, which previously had only been appointed by the president of the United States. I
0: remember that.
1: And uh, so he, I told him I wasn't interested in, in a political job He goes, no, they they made a career and they wanted to make sure they had some decent folks doing, you know, applying for the job. So I put in my application and before the civil service test, the chief came up. They offered me the job uh, as superintendent and I knew I'd never get that opportunity again. So I retired and took the job.
0: I got to tell you, before you got there, it was a whirlwind because it was very political. Yeah, uh, they they really did. And the. Uh, we started going my my one of my mentors bob burdick uh just a guy that i thought is this outside the box all the time
1: hmm.
0: he found out about the academy and he he, he handed me this application it was on mimeo paper back in 1980 or 81 it was okay. like right after the doors opened yeah and uh but it was wild back then because again those were all political appointees uh, and it was like a, a wave of what's okay, what's not okay. With the, the, without a doubt, the wildest time was when the marine was in charge. Yeah. Suddenly, he wanted everybody marching around and saluting. <laughs> and stuff that just didn't go well with the arson guys.
1: No. Um, didn't you know, go so, well with most people. Yeah, so, yeah. And he didn't
0: last long either. No. So I think there was a general happiness when that when we started getting that realignment, and these were. Well, they're somewhat political. They're not a political appointees. You, there's positions that have to take place, and all of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How how long were you superintendent? God.
1: I was superintendent for 20 years, and um, I would have stayed as superintendent had my uh, boss survived. What What happened was there were three times that I could have applied for. The next position up, which is Deputy United States Fire Administrator, but I wasn't—I wasn't interested in the job. I loved the National Fire Academy, and um, my boss, Glenn Gaines, who was just a great friend. Uh, suddenly passed away, collapsed mowing a lawn, and and um, the FEMA, FEMA director came down and he said to me, "You know, what do you want to do?" The fire administrator was Chief Ernie Mitchell from from California, who was just a great friend, wonderful man. And he and I had talked about when Glenn passed away, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, chief, look, if, if you're asking me what I want to do, I want to stay a superintendent. But if you're asking me what's the best thing to do for the organization, I said it would be for me to take the deputy job and then hire a superintendent behind me so that I can break that person in. So it'll be a there'll be a continuity, you know, a succession plan. And, and that's what we decided to do. And um, I. I I had to force myself to stay away from the fire academy, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it was hard. So I was the deputy U.S. fire administrator for five years, and that, too, was a career position in the federal service. So at that time, you're the highest-ranking career uh, fire service person uh, for the U.S. government. Right, and then
0: Ernie, actually, Ernie stayed until he stayed through the Obama administration. Correct. And then... And then he exited stage right, if I remember correctly.
1: Correct. The U.S. Fire Administrator is appointed by the president. And um, as the president comes and goes, so go the U.S. Fire Administrators. But it's it just they know that taking the job. That's right. the way it is in federal service. Um, if you're appointed by the president, when the president leaves, you go with the president.
0: And it must have been hard for you to stay away. Listen, you hired a very dynamic.
1: You had yes. hired a
0: very dynamic person to come in behind you.
1: Tanya Hoover, just Absolutely. wonderful. Absolutely, who's now,
0: who's now doing your, your old job, right? Well, that
1: was, that was the deal when um, I realized a couple of things. First of all, I'm not going to live forever, right? So I wanted a succession plan. And in order to do that, I announced my... I wanted to get all of the senior positions in the fire administration filled and locked down before the presidential election in 2020. So... I announced my retirement in uh, 2019. Uh, They had a nationwide search. A lot of people applied. Tanya Hoover knocked them dead. She killed them all. And then she got my job, which meant we were gonna hire a superintendent. Uh, We hired Eric Skavlicks out of Oregon, who was the state training director there for 20 years, president of the state training directors association very, very good political sense. And we hired him as superintendent. And as soon as those two positions were locked down, I waltzed out the door February 1. The election was in November of 2020. And uh, so now the place is in good shape.
0: We actually had Eric's on the show.
1: He's that great. was like
0: another, we talk about the leadership yeah. uh, position. And again, coming in there and uh, coming in after his predecessor had left and and again you know plus he hit right in the head with covid so yeah you know just struggling to keep the doors open or keep some kind of business continuity going um was just crazy were you there you were there after the executive fire officer started right yes
1: yeah um go ahead
0: but one of my favorite programs to teach Was I think your brainchild, and that was the managing officer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that that we realized early on, I mean, there were a number of things that we had to tackle before we started doing new stuff. And, uh, but the critical positions in the fire and emergency services is that first and second line supervisor. Those are the people that dictate the job. And as soon as you make like battalion chief or deputy chief, you begin to realize. How important those company officers those lieutenants and captains are so we started that managing officer program once we got a number of other things squared away
0: no and that's and that's i think it's a, a vibrant program and again now it, it both the uh, executive fire officer and the manager again they're they're going through their uh, gestation as they Change, or for those that don't know, the, the traditional executive fire officer has changed um, mm-hmm. at the request of the students, and um, so that's in the process of getting cooked up, and uh, was is still finishing up. Matter of fact, uh, Doctor Fire Chief Perez is uh, helping out with that.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, sure. process,
0: yeah. Um, which is exciting for us uh, as we go there. So, what was what were what were the big challenges you had? when you first got into the fire academy?
1: Nick, there were, first of all, the men and women that worked there, good people, hardworking people, smart people, dedicated people, but they were leaderless. There would be a superintendent in there for 18 months and then the president would change and they get an acting superintendent and the acting superintendent wasn't going to make any waves or do anything. And Then they wait for the new superintendent to come in and by the time... The president of the United States has 4,000 appointments to make. So the superintendent of the National Fire Academy is not up there with the secretary of defense. I mean, it's just, you know, something that they get to finally. So a lot of the, not I want to say disciplinary problems, but there were disciplinary problems, behavior problems. Uh, the f- students that were showing up looked at it like club Fed. You know, they were coming there to party. Yeah. And the first challenge I had was, I realized early on, I had spoken to a number of fire service leaders around the country, and I realized we've got to change it to an academic institution. So I did no longer wanted to be identified, even though I was a very proud uh, fire chief in Jersey City and a firefighter in Jersey City. I didn't want to be identified as a fire officer. I want to be identified as a, an academician. So it's right off. I'm Dr. O'Neill. And we're stepping off in a different direction. So we brought in the American Council on Education to evaluate our courses so that students could get college credit recommendation if they took a National Fire Academy course. Now, I got a lot of pushback about that because folks, it was a lot of extra work for our staff and they said that people weren't using it. And I explained as many, many times that it's not to get the students college credit recommendation, that's a secondary benefit. The primary benefit is that we're having an outside objective look at our academic programs to make sure that they have goals, they have objectives, that we test for the objectives, that they meet certain standards. And um, so we got that going. The next thing that we had to do was um, we had 50 state training systems and 58 different ways of doing things. So we try to add it. And To some extent, there were among those state training directors um, the interest in getting the money that the federal government spent on the National Fire Academy. They wanted the federal government to give the money to them. Well, that was uh, an an internal, an external fight, I'd say. But um, finally, with the help of some very, very good people like Eric Scalbitt, Steve Edwards from Maryland, uh, Randy Novak out of Iowa, a bunch of different folks around the country, and we got the state training directors organized. And once we did that, we were able to take our National Fire Academy courses and deliver those courses through the state training systems. They had to follow certain rules and things like that, but but they did that. Um, The next piece was we were never looked at as a profession, and we're still on that road. But if you look at other professions, Nursing, medicine, law, engineering—you know—they all follow the same path. There's an education piece, there's a training piece, there's an experience piece, there's a uh, continuing education piece, and we needed to, in cooperation with uh, the state training systems, we got the the training piece squared away. The next tackle was the education piece. So we had a hundred and 29 different fire degree programs around the country they they were all different different curriculum different books different everything so we got those folks organized and we had a standard higher education curriculum so if you i mean if you look at medicine i mean you don't learn a different anatomy if you if you learn medicine in connecticut and then you move to florida it's the same anatomy class right It's the same science class, same chemistry class, same biology class. So that's what we wanted to do for the fire service. So we now have, I think it's now up around 140 standard degree programs around the country. We have the standard training through the NFPA standards. So that was done. And uh, so, you know, just keep pushing those things uh, forward. The managing officer program the uh, executive fire officer program. And as we were making changes at the academy, Nick, um, there's always pushback. People love courses. you got instructors who are politically influential and they're calling up congressmen and senators accusing me of everything from sodomy to slander. I mean, you know, I was, you know, all of the things that that go along with being uh, in those responsible uh, positions. But I explain to people, it's a school. It's not a museum, you know. We're not dedicated to the past. We're, we're negotiating the future. We're making sure that the next generation of people are coming up. So the curriculum is constantly under changing. The courses are constantly changing, and and fortunately, they've got some great people still, hardworking, dedicated people that are doing a great job.
0: I think uh, well, I should mention that our our state training director is actually in the audience. I think he's benefited. Uh, I know he's benefited from uh, stuff that he's gotten there. Uh, One of the things I thought was interesting is in the beginning, it was like subject matter experts or people that were known in their field, hazmat guys, fire guys, command guys, whatever, uh, they put together like a program. Mm -hmm. So they throw together a PowerPoint, right? And then they generate some handouts and whatnot. And I, I, I really believe in the beginning a lot of that was instructor developed and instructor delivered Mm -hmm. and and again it was like this it was sometimes it was like right up here the whole time and other times it it met a minimum but it wasn't the same right Mm -hmm. as, as what you're saying but then as we started uh bringing in outside resources to assess and evaluate those programs and make recommendations the programs it's like you know the fleet went up right <laughs> what so, was the
1: purpose yeah
0: right so everything gets a little bit more and a little bit more and even now with the, they're toying again with the socratic methods and stuff to try to get more conversation and get the kids i shouldn't call them kids get yeah. the students to teach themselves and teach each other from what their experiences are there's always and that's one of the cool things about the academy there's always been there what's next what's next what's next The other thing that does change, too, and and it it can be a change with leadership, is even the specialists or the coordinators or whatever they're called now. Uh, You know, we've had some, uh, uh, Yoder just retired. We've had some great people there that they're, they're retired, right? And so we have young folks coming in, young being a relative term, but, you know, newly retired folks coming in and now looking at those programs and saying, listen, this is where we need to go. This is what we need to do. And then we have programs like the fire investigation. You know, some of these programs are just beyond, you know, whatever. And so, uh, but we still have traditions like the chemistry of hazardous material and some of these other ones that are still critically important to, to, uh, to do that, to be there. Um, So I, I, and I do, I, I do think you were right on the mark with the managing company officer now, i happen to think because i like the subjects right it's safety it's community risk reduction uh then we do some analytics mm-hmm. which most people don't get right and i can't remember what the i can't remember what the fourth one is
1: they may have changed it but the purpose behind it when we started the program was um, everybody loves command and control okay which is optimally five percent of your job you know the rest of the job is managing people it's understanding your role in the community how are you going to change the the picture what are you going to change so we early decided early on we're not giving you what you want we're giving you what you need and if you're going to aspire to be a chief officer this is what you need to know i mean you study a strategy and tactics over and over and over again. It's fun, it's sexy, it's exciting, it's all of those things. But the reality of it is, is that you need to have the kinds of skill sets that are gonna help you move the organization, you know, down the field from the 50 yard line to the to the goal post, as opposed to the 10 yard line over and over and over and over again.
0: I think there should be, I, 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 I was talking to a leadership class, And I told him, I said, I think there should be a class called high risk, low frequency for HR directors. (laughs) Because if you think about, yeah, we may burn down a mill or something or whatever, but I guarantee you one, two, three or four times a year, somebody says something stupid, does something stupid, engages somebody on Facebook, whatever. And the next thing you know, we're in the office trying to explain how our culture (laughs) is different. And uh, you know and, and, and learning that we, we need to change our culture a little bit if we're going to be able to survive in this in this world.
1: I have you a know, term it, I call the the smack'. That's a <laughs> social media assisted career ending move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know people still think that they have you know freedom of speech and they can say or do whatever they want. There are consequences. There are consequences. And the court decisions have all been made. There's, there's there's no more decisions to be made. They refer to some other court decision and down you go.
0: No, uh, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, the, because you're in the big, you're in the big fishbowl now, right? It's one thing to be like a state director or whatever, but you're, you're up there in, in BC. And so let's talk about politics. What, what, you know, what was, where where. Excuse me. What worked well for you? What didn't work well for you? What Did, did anything sneak up and bite you?
1: <laughs> Many times. Nick, um, I was very fortunate in that I grew up in Jersey City. And Jersey City was, when I was there, and is still most recently in the last month, named the most diverse city in the country. So You, in order to survive in those neighborhoods, um, you know, going around the block, you're in a completely different culture. I I don't want to exaggerate this, but I lived on a street when I was a young kid called Bayview Avenue. And if you follow Bayview Avenue straight down to the end, the end is the Statue of Liberty. And to the left is is Ellis Island. So when I was a kid, um, people were coming over from Ellis Island, moving right into Jersey City uh, all the time. And, you know, the language issues, the culture issues were all um, that you dealt with all the time, the kids that you played with. So what I learned early on was we didn't call it politics, but what I learned early on was the art of influence, which is really what politics is all about. I don't I don't care if it's the kitchen table in the firehouse or your spouse or your children or your drunk uncle or whatever, whatever it is you got to deal with, you influence people in certain ways. And fortunately, growing up in the city, kind of like you did, Nick, where we all grew up, you learn to read people. You know, you just kind of sit back and you watch them and you learn. So I was fortunate when I hit Washington, that was a skill set that I already had. And where um where I got blindsided sometimes was um, maybe a, you know a budget thing would come down, or they would, um, for example, uh, once in a while during a, a, toward the end of the budget cycle, the FEMA administrator or the DHS secretary would in, in, invoke a hiring freeze to save money, and then you know you got three people in the pipeline ready to come on board. And now you're going to go into a new budget cycle. You got to start all over again, and those are the goofy things that that you had to deal with. The um, issues associated with procurement, making sure you dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's, and then IT was was just a bear. I, you know, I don't know how people work in IT. Uh, I call them the abominable no men. They just—it's it's,
0: it's always there. It's always their fault. Yeah. It's, we have we
1: have uh, we have a department of security that dabbles in computers. I mean it's just brilliant. everything you tried to do and everything you tried to improve there was uh hurdles so those are the things that and you couldn't influence your way out of it. those were prescribed rules you understood them but you know well, over
0: the so as an example over the last couple of years for years and years and years in the back of the classrooms at the national fire Academy were six computers yeah five of those computers were internal to the, to the academy. And one computer would allow you with a lot of protections to go out into the world to do research. Cause you're doing research papers, right? Sure. And then we had the whole computer lab yeah. and then some after 9-11 and after all the cyber attacks and everything else, next thing you know, done, gone, like removed labs, right. gone, everything's gone. So, but also people are uh, on the other side of that is, now we have bring your own device, right? So you don't. That's how we need, got around it, right? You don't need to have a lab when everybody has a lab in their in their room, yeah. Right, and you can still do those research projects because when you're trying to share them, it's a little bit different. But that's but we worked around that. We you know we we figured out how to do that as as well. Um, the you know one of the things in the big picture of things. The national fire academy is not a huge agency right for that matter the u.s fire administration is not necessarily a huge agency no compared to all your your cohorts and stuff we have the same thing here um, with our commission on fire prevention control our ems uh, uh boards and stuff like that when 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 we lose somebody or I tell you what used to happen to us all the time is around the end of the fiscal year, someone would take out a little whisk broom and sweep all the money that nobody had, that everybody hadn't spent yet, into a their own the treasury bucket, so they could go do whatever they wanted to. But they didn't often tell the all the little sub agencies and small ones like like our commission, our, our you know it's a small it's a small agency and a small group of employees. It's a couple hundred, but to them that's not compared to the Department of Motor Vehicle or, or whatever. And that always always just messed things up. Did you have that same, that same concept as we're getting close?
1: Well, we did, but I, I was fortunate in that um, we had a man, his name was Ron Face, he recently passed away, great guy. And uh, I think the two words that would describe Ron Face are Radar O'Reilly. So <laughs> Ron had a list of projects and amounts of money to do these projects. And I had a list at the Fire Academy. He had a list on the campus. The other managers all had lists. So let's say uh, the fiscal year in the federal government begins October 1. Yeah, so good. beginning like August 15th, you know, people are scrambling around. They got money that they can't spend and they're looking to, to get it spent so that they don't give it back because if they give it back, they're going to be
0: and they're going to get it penalized, next
1: time. They are not going to get it next time. So we said, oh, yeah, we, we can, you know, we're going to put a roof on this building or we're going to upgrade the electric in this building. Now, the entire National Fire Academy, well, it's the U.S. Fire Administration campus, is now off the grid. We have all solar panels on the roof, backed up by generator power, backed up by commercial power. But, you know, those are little things that we got, not little things, big things, really, uh, that we got done you know scarfing up all those little sweepings that uh, other people had the challenge um again when i was deputy fire administrator was maintaining that campus Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i mean the oldest building on the campus the chapel was built in 1839. my office building which was n building was built in 1870 it's 150 years old you know this these buildings were built before there was indoor plumbing before there was essential heating and before there was electricity in buildings so you know air conditioning them and heating them and all of those things are more than a headache <laughs> boy do
0: i remember the the summer of the drilling the, the oh, okay. summer yeah. you in all the heat pumps yeah and we had and those, all the doors we were, we were all in uh portable classrooms yep remember that
1: yeah oh yeah That was
0: so funny because we you know they would the instructors would set us all up and then but by the by midweek all the southern guys would be up by the front where there was no air conditioning and all the all the northern guys would be over by the air conditioning because they weren't used to the heat right it
1: was nuts. but there yeah.
0: was you are they, didn't you guys they drill like 187 I don't remember the number
1: pictures. but it was amazing and it, I, looked like I, a, it looked like a tulip farm there was tubes yeah. sticking
0: out of everywhere
1: yeah and they Maybe go down like I think 50 feet and the fluid that they use in it comes out of the ground at 55 degrees right right so every building is at 55 degrees and in the summertime you only have to bring it up to 68 or 70 whatever it was the air condition it and then the heat it was the same so the amount of energy that we saved by doing that was a tremendous uh, amount and changing led light. i mean as deputy fire minister i learned more about <laughs> old buildings and plumbing and electric and Probably more than I need to know.
0: But that's, that, that, that we should also mention that, uh, the, what was that, that facility was uh, closed for what, seven years? I think. Six, yeah, it. six years.
1: Six yeah. years.
0: And listen to this in six, again, this is a small rural community. It's got a, it's got a, it had two colleges. Yeah. One of them moved in with the other one, and that's where the academy came from. But in the six years, they responded to one broken window yeah. in all of those buildings.
1: That's a great in, community.
0: In all those buildings, they found one broken window on the back door of one of the buildings, one of the older buildings out back. Nothing was broken, nothing was trashed inside. Yeah. Somebody just wanted to see what, I don't know, whatever. But that was it over six years. that was That's just uh, an amazing right. thing. And the
1: federal government bought 110 acres and 26 buildings to three and a half million dollars. Think about it. <laughs> now we've spent over 150 million. Yeah. You know, bringing it up, but yeah, it was quite a buy.
0: So for the old farts, uh, uh, so when I went there, there was A and B, were the only residentials. We had one bathroom, because it was 99% men. Yep. So it was, each floor had a community bathroom with the community showers, right? Uh, well, individual showers. Um, but there was there was the dining hall, there was the rec room and, and the billiard hall, and then the classrooms. the classrooms fell yeah. back. Now in the library, which is uh, by far one of the single most important research facilities for fire stuff anywhere. Um, I mean, we, we wanted to do we want to do strategic planning one time. I said, send me what you got on strategic planning. The girl just laughed. She just broke down hysterically. She goes, We have over 1,500 documents on strategic planning because every EFO class, somebody had to do at least five students had to do strategic planning for something, right? True. And, and they keep everything. They they keep everything. Uh all this all the great uh award winning projects are still there that you can you can have them send
1: them to you. Or you they can will. It's, they're great. they're yeah. all librarians, they're all um professional librarians and they are oh, yeah. just over the top it,
0: and, and you can get that because so that's what we did is we had them sent to the public library as part of the interloan thing mm-hmm. right we did what we needed we put them back they sent them back to them yeah. was, and other things we we wanted to keep so we printed you know why well, I should mention you know so I, I was on the 20-year plan to get my college degree <laughs> join the club (laughs) to get my bachelor's Yeah. yeah my associates was easy that was pretty fast and then I got in the firehouse and life happened and stuff but one of the things that I eventually did was I was in a class and I saw the flyers for the and I can't remember the abbreviation but essentially you had several state colleges that came on board to teach very specific classes under the fire Academy's under the fire academy's direction and mm-hmm. support, and I ended up going myself, Danny Keo, uh, Bill Tessier, a, a whole bunch of us uh, ended up going to Empire State, mm-hmm. SUNY Empire State, and uh, back then on the computer was a bulletin board. Yeah. So you had to you had to do uh, a lot of reading. You had to go on the bulletin board once a week, and you had to talk to your your support person Mm -hmm. the direct the guy directing you or gal directing you around once a week and then they would send you you know like 25 questions and they'd say you have to answer this one this one this one this whatever it was or they'd let you pick Mm -hmm. the the, the 10 questions you had to do and it was all essays and all essays that's where I learned to write like that's why my wife will tell you that's where I learned to write English Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) I used to write the way I talked yeah. And that was not a good way to write. But that that experience and having to go through that literally prepared me for the rest of my life, particularly when it came to memos and documents and research and sales. And, and when you're trying to sell very smart people on why you need this money to do this or buy that or why we need more people and, and the analytics and how to break that stuff down in Excel and all that. All of that for me, all of that or 99% of that came from the program that I took because of something I saw at the fire Academy. Yeah.
1: You what know. we did was Nick, we made the colleges sign an agreement with the state training system. And the theory behind that was that there's a, there's a, a link between the education piece and the training piece. Now we didn't care what the agreement said, but they had to work together or they would not be able to do any of that stuff. And, um, If you go to a, you know, there's no medical school without a hospital. There's no nursing school without a hospital. There's no law school without a moot court affiliation someplace. So, I mean, if you want to be a a CPA, you've got to do some connection with a professional firm, some practice. So that was the, the theory behind it. Every profession has an affiliation between education and training. And. We made them sign an agreement. We didn't care what the agreement said, but we made them sign an agreement. And then, you know, they, then they started to work together and cooperate as opposed to compete.
0: So let's talk about one that's kind of like formalized now, and I'm gonna read it because I'm not gonna get it right.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: the Fire and Emergency Services Higher Education, I call it feshi, is that correct? Yep. yep, Is that what we're talking about? or is this That's exactly emergency.
1: what we're talking about. Okay. And. Um, So in order to to become a profession, I mean, if you look at the history of professions, everybody knows that Abraham Lincoln was a lawyer, but nobody knows that Abraham Lincoln didn't go to law school. Um, You know, our great grandparents went to a local barber to get dental care. They called them sanitaries. I mean, so nursing, you know, 100 years ago was a two-year diploma school indentured servitude. Now... You know, All of these professions take in a piece of education and a piece of training, and that's what makes a profession. And we are on that path. That was the path that the men and women at the National Fire Academy marched, and there were struggles, and the state training systems, and they marched with us, and they struggled. And the colleges and the universities marched with us, and they struggled because they had to go back. And change the faculty senate and do all that stuff that they've got to do so it's been a, a it's been a long time coming but we're on the path now and um we're not going to live to see it maybe Well, i hope you do but i don't think i will but um we're and we're beginning to see it now where uh firefighters and fire officers are becoming portable whereas the yeah. time when you and i went in the job you you went on one department and that was it you were
0: Dirty man. You were there. The golden
1: handcuffs. Now, you know, people are moving around. They're taking their pensions with them. They're they're getting away from defined benefit pension systems to defined contribution systems. And so all of these things are in place. And, you know, 50 years from now, we're going to be where nursing and medicine and law and accounting and engineering are today.
0: I mean, I made fun of, of, uh, of Chief Perez. But, mm-hmm. and, and, and another good friend of ours Reggie
1: oh yeah uh, Freeman
0: Freeman yeah. he just got his uh, yep. doctorate and we make we we you know we we emphasize that but listen this is this is where we're going I, oh, yeah. I one of the things I wish I had there's two things I'm glad I didn't do but I wish I had in retrospect <laughs> well from a family perspective going to the fire academy for two weeks for four years in a row and then all the time for the research, it, it, it was not happening in my house because of everything we had going on. But sure. I wish I had the executive fire officer. I, I really do. I My friends that are have gone through that are just more literate. They're just more eloquent. Their research skills are a little bit better, uh, at, you know, over time because of, of Burt Clark and, and uh, Chuck Burkell. Chuck Burkell. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, the, and the work, you know, no, the, one more time, but what, what, you know, in really drilling down, uh, the other thing I wish I had gotten is I wish i had I kept going and gotten my master's, but I took a different, I took a different path and I went, you know, um, much more with, um, uh, the certifications and, sure. and, and again, life, life got in the way of doing that. But I, I tell a lot of folks to listen, you get your master's. Or, or do something of that upper level because you're you're going to need it you're going to need it to be able to really understand and research what you're up against and what you're doing and and you can actually take people that would not support you and or are don't know what you know or they don't know what they don't know right mm-hmm. and they just need to be educated and and if you have those skills again particularly the, the research skills of the masters if you have that, then bang it just makes things it just makes you just it's you're more able to explain stuff and you're just it's just easier to do stuff.
1: Nick the the reality of it is, is you know when I was the chief of the department in Jersey City and even at the fire academy and, and the fire administration that it, you're in an environment where all of the other people with whom you're competing for that slice of the pie has that education? You betcha. And if you think you're going to go before city council and say, "Because babies are going to die if you don't," you don't have a clue. No, they're not neither. buying babies are going to die because they have the data. They know what they you know, They know what's going on. And and uh, so uh, when you when I first went to the fire academy, I knew everyone, every fire person that had a doctorate. They were personal friends of mine. Uh, Jim Klein out of New York City, uh, Bill Kramer out of Cincinnati, and Burke Clark. Oh, my God. You know? I haven't heard Bill Kramer. Yeah, yeah. And now I wouldn't be surprised at all if there were more than 100. And oh, those yeah. people are going to be doing research. They, you know, when they finish up their chiefing job, wherever they're going to do that, they're going to be teaching and, and bringing up that next generation about. Research and community risk reduction, and the role of the fire department in the community, and the um, that's going to change. We're we're we are becoming the departments of first and last resorts. We are the emergency managers for our community. No matter what happens, they look to us to do that.
0: We and we can and we we fulfill those we fulfill those roles whether we're asked to or not, whether we're prepared to or not, whatever. If you if you get jammed up But the old story, the old story in New York, right in the city was if you're, you're having a baby, you get mugged, your elevator doesn't work or there's a water leak, you can call the police and they'll get there in a half an hour to an hour unless it's a shooting or you can pull the red box and someone will take care of your problem or at least get it started in three and a half minutes. Yeah. Right. And we still we still have that capability. Um, the, the other thing I want to make sure I want to share is because you're, you're, you're hitting on something that I didn't re- learn until very late in my career. So as, as part of my uh, uh, my boss's enrichment for me, I needed to go have uh, get a finance class. And I think the intent of the class was to stop spending more money. But uh, I spent two great weeks. Oh, my God with a very talented group of people and what they they taught us all the excel stuff they taught us how to do all the make all the charts how to extrapolate information all that stuff was good but what they but the final the final project was you had to create your presentation for your um for your your governing body and you had to use their five topics health wealth safety Write All of those. I swear to God, I came home on a Sunday the, the the meeting was that night that I had to go before the board. I completely rewrote, completely rewrote the program, created the PowerPoint to go with it based on the understanding that inputs equals outputs. You can't go this way. You can't go outputs. Right. And then try to figure it out. You got to say, what do you want to do? But it all starts way back here. For three years, my entire presentation, the budget flew. I mean, maybe four questions. And in the first three years, I never told them what they were spending. I never gave them a number. Mm -hmm. I told them there were increases in this and this and this and why right now they had all the, they had all the data. I mean, they had we had given them a, a standard Excel worksheet that we created in the fire department that I got from the academy, and so they could look up the changes. But they just want to know why. That's right. They, they 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 realized that we were asking for in some cases a lot more money, but they just needed to know why. And, and for those three years, I never I, in the whole PowerPoint, I never said how much more we were spending or all that. And it all it all flew through now leadership after that wanted a little bit more detail so we just blended the changes into the powerpoint and and it never got never got seriously questioned or or beat up and it always passed all of that came from the finance class uh from the academy and it it was just a different way it's not like gimme 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 it's like, let's start with that, again, you, I know you know the flow chart, is let's look at this flow chart and figure out what's the outcome we're looking for. Not how much money we think we need, but what's the outcome, and then let's work backwards until we come up with what's the actual cost based on what we're trying to achieve, right? And that that, that actually worked pretty good for me. All right, next question. <laughs> well, we I think you've talked a little bit about the managing officer mm-hmm. already right? Um, yeah. And again, I, I I, think it is important because I think we need to empower our officers to get them ready for the next step, like you said, right? Because without that, you're in trouble. Um, and again, what? tell me what that ACE accreditation is yeah. for, again?
1: So again, this goes back, Nick, to the combination of education and training and tying that in. We wanted to make sure that our courses at the Fire Academy met college credit recommendation so that we would hire the American, we paid for it. I mean, they would come in and do an assessment on our courses and um, they would assess them for college credit and at what level. So there would be, you know, three credits for first and second year, three credits for third and fourth year college. Right. And then EFO classes were evaluated at the graduate level. So you could get up to, depending upon the school, but you could get up to 12 graduate credits by taking the EFO program because of the research component. But the purpose of the outside evaluation was to make sure that we were on track. The one challenge, not the one challenge, but our challenge uh, that I faced was that, uh, again, hardworking people, good people, smart people, dedicated people, but they tended sometimes to believe that the center of the universe was Emmitsburg. And that everything smart and intelligence flew from from that center of the earth. And um, that's typically not the way the world works. So uh, bringing in college professors and fire service experts, typically with master's and doctoral degrees, to evaluate the programs, gave us an academic credential that tied in the training piece and the education piece so that they could go back home and transfer that credit into a degree program if they so desired.
0: It's like, and we had, we've had issues where, you know, right out of the box day one, we're saying, listen, these are upper level graduates. You know, these are upper level credits. You're not in the community college here. This These mm-hmm. are upper level. They've been scoped out. And usually after the first assignment, you know, it's like, no, really, these are <laughs> upper level. Right yeah. So you, yeah. you do need know how. You, you, listen, you got spell check on your machine. Use it. You do need to, you got a grammar check on your machine. Use it, right? Because we're going to read them, and we, our expectation is you have to hand this to someone who actually has a degree as well, who's running your community, and he's going to need to or she's going to need to understand, you know, what where we're at, and what we're doing.
1: Yeah. Just I wanted to get back to your budget discussion, Nick. Um, there's a you use the word why. And that's a critical, it's a simple word, but it's a critical word. And I would encourage the men and women who are watching this today or later on. There's a Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, YouTube presentation. It's only about 15 minutes. And he talks about the difference between what and how and why. And um, I'll, I'll never do it justice. He's, in my book, he's as good as Gordon Graham. He really and, is. And uh, so... I would encourage folks to just go on Simon Sinek and NY. And just watch the 15 minutes. and In 15 minutes, he very simply explains what you explained about your city council experience.
0: One of the things that this does for us, right? And I don't, I don't know how you feel about him, whatever. But you can tell this <laughs> yeah. machine, this little credit here, you can say every time, and I'll pick on him, Every time he releases something on YouTube, Mm -hmm. you need to tell me. Yeah. There's that other guy, Gary, who swears a lot. I can't remember his or whatever his name is. Right. right? But some of the, well, he, I think he's a little full of himself, but if you listen to what he says sometimes and you get past all the F-bombs, there's some good stuff there. Mm -hmm. So there are, it's just like TED Talks. So this thing will tell you when the latest, whatever it is, of who you want to follow is there. And again, we use a lot of that. There's a lot of references of that. Um, Or I've taken a lot of classes where there's just snippet after snippet after snippet from these guys of explaining, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it was that where we were driving.
1: Um, I'm glad you're still a student, Nick. That's good.
0: I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but it's funny. Uh, it's like that scene from Top Gun with the old guy at the bar. Uh, <laughs> you know, we you all dream
1: and, of flying that jet, don't we, I, Nick? <laughs> I tell you what, we, I tell you what's
0: the hardest thing for me, and, and everybody that knows me will will understand this completely is it's very hard for Nick to sit in the back and keep his freaking mouth shut. <laughs> it's just like this, right? It, it yeah. Keep his mouth shut because somewhere in 45 years, it may not have been New York City. It may not have been Baltimore. But somewhere in 45 years, I've seen some stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? And and so it's part of the class. And I'm sit, being Italian. I'm like sitting on my fingers trying to hold on because, well, back in the day, we had, right? You, I, I'm scary. Not, you don't no, want I, to I sound try, like that, right? I try so hard not to be that guy. But sometimes they're talking about experiences that I've had to help fix, or that I experienced myself, and so it is kind of a juggling match. But the folks that are here know that I I just babble too much anyway. So, what make you what what was the thought process to go to the six day class versus the or so we still have ten day classes right right but a lot of stuff now we 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 really chopped out a lot and gone to the six day. I think that's your meat and, That's the meat and potatoes right now, right?
1: Yeah, that was another change that um, was either the greatest uh, thing since sliced bread, or it was <laughs> the greatest threat to democracy that this nation <laughs> has ever faced. Uh, where uh, we moved some of the classes around, people were like they are today. I mean, there's tremendous demands on people's time. So we wanted to give people a choice. And so we experimented with some six-day classes, bring them in on a Saturday. Right. They go from Sunday till Friday or Sunday, yep. whatever it yep. was. Sunday yep. Friday. Yep. Yeah. And um <laughs> and you know, it was focused. We spent a lot less time on breaks and things like that. We we what we tried to maintain was the three college credit recommendation. Right. That was a that was a the critical key piece that we wanted to keep. But what the funniest thing was, and it, it, you never realize all of the different ripple effects. We have a just a great little pub in town yep. called Oats. Everybody, I, I, I
0: may have, I I heard there was something there.
1: Yeah, you might have had a sarsaparilla allegedly,
0: there too, right? Someone said there was a place there. So, <laughs> somebody with Bobby uh, and Susie, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably know their social security number. Anyway, so, um. Just one day, i I'd try to go to places in town to support the economy. And instead of eating on the campus, I used to eat on the campus at least four days a week. I would eat there just to check on the food all the time. But I'd go into town or, go, you know, wherever. So one day, um, Bobby comes up to me very, and you know Bobby, he's just the yeah. greatest guy. Just very quiet, very humble. He goes, hey, you know, hey, Doc, um. I know you're going to six-day classes, um, but do you know what that's doing to my business? <laughs> you know, it affected his business, and uh, yeah. I never realized that. Instead but of being course, right for two weeks, right? Yeah. Well, there was a skip day. After a while, he realized that we were pushing through twice as many people in the same time frame.
0: Okay, right. In
1: two weeks. In other words, instead of one class but 25 people for two weeks, we had two classes of twenty-five people right. in twelve right. days, and and uh, well, thirteen days. Right, so right. I, I again getting down to the why, I explained that Bobby, you know they're they're coming in, they're just more people, and there will be more. And, he, and it came around, you know, but you never think.
0: I got to tell know, you, it's tough. It's it, as a as a as a parent, and I didn't have my head on square at the time. I'll just give you that much, but. It is tough to go away for two weeks, yeah. And uh, even we see that in the managing officer. I mean, they get they get Saturday off, but where are you going to go, right? You can go into Baltimore, yeah. you can go into DC, but you can't. It, even when it was earlier, you could get out early Friday. You could go. You could actually, if you were crazy enough, you could drive to New York for a ball game yeah. and then drive back, right? I actually had a roommate who was a chiropractor. He went home on Friday night, did all of his back snapping on Saturday, and Sunday, came back. Sunday night for class, right? Yeah. But it, it, it it There are, but again, some classes you need that because of the amount of like the finance. I don't think you could do that in sick days. I think you get a no. migraine because there's just so much, there's so much math and data and, and stuff like that. But you know, it 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 does change things. It does change, it's shorter, it's quicker, mm-hmm. right? The tempo is a little bit more, right? Cause you can't get rid of everything there's still yeah. topics that have to be covered, right? Yep. You really do, you do. But again, what I've always loved uh, and, and and the rest of this, uh, my colleagues here loved was it's all about those groups of four and six, it was six, yeah. if COVID it was four, <laughs> but those groups of six from all over the country sharing and coming up with just brainstorming stuff, which is, that's just so fundamental to that, that whole campus is what, what's, what do we got to do about this problem and then sharing it with four other groups to see what they could get out of it. And then, you know, and then and then at the end of the, at the end of the week, you get 24 PowerPoint presentations of whatever class it is that you can take home and share. Sure. It, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just crazy that way.
1: And there was some science behind that Nick there. First of all, no uniforms, no rank. Second of all, a third of all, um, We threw a random number generator on zip codes so that it was unlikely. I'm not going to say it never happened, but it was unlikely that you would get anybody in your class from your own department. Right. Unless there was a special request, you know, I got to get these two people. You know, then we would honor that. But so you could say what you thought without fear of repercussion or a fear of it getting back to the job that you got to live with it for the next 20 years. Is something that you said. So, I mean, all of that was behind the scenes that people didn't realize but was part of the experience.
0: You might actually get uh, small states, small states. Yeah. You might actually see another person from your state. Correct. Right? And you may know them or know where they're from, but, yeah. they, but they probably weren't in your class. They probably were in another class and you'd run mm-hmm. into them in the, in the cafeteria or in some cases, I know uh, we did it, is we we reach out to certain people yeah. and say, especially hey, after that fur if it's something where it's you know three series or whatever, we'd say, Hey, listen, I'm going back on this date. It's like the EFO guys do. I'm going yeah. back on this date, are you available? Those those kind of things. Um volunteer incentive program, do they still do that?
1: I believe they still do. Um, it's been a challenge. Um We've, we've done a couple of different permutations trying to do it and um, setting aside certain weeks. And then, you know, those were weeks that were inconvenient for people. And then um, we just started shuttling people through if they were volunteer. They had preference over a regular class is eventually how I think it still is. I'm not sure. The new superintendent may have changed that, but what we did was we named a, uh, a VIP week or a couple of weeks, and say, right. if you are a volunteer, you're automatically, as long as you meet the qualifications, right. you're at the top of the list. It's like yeah. veterans' preference or something.
0: Yep. And again, I went to a, I. We ended up taking a couple of them, and they're this is good. I mean, they're oh yeah. If they had that focus. Dude, we yeah. were in a small combination department, right? So we needed that that focus on because it is a little different. Yeah, there's a little different on you know in in what you do and how you can handle that. Same thing with the weekends, right? The weekends are still going strong. The weekends they're, are still they going. Are, strong. They're coming back, I should say.
1: Yeah, yeah, and those were great. What I always enjoyed was when uh, two states would get together and they'd come in. So it'd be like Connecticut and South Carolina. You almost yeah. had to had a, a translator because we like, really do.
0: South Carolina South Carolina's tough. South Carolina's tough
1: the students loved it i mean they were meeting people from all of different parts of the country it was almost close to uh, a regular nfa experience for a one week or two week class you know and then you couldn't break them of it you know then they wanted to come together all the time but they were uh, my favorite was um maine and east tennessee oh. you Now tennessee we come up. yeah I mean, they were like, I might as well have, um, you know, Germany and China <laughs> together. It was just, it was unreal. But they, I mean, you know, after about two hours, you know, it was, they found out they were all the same, you know, different experiences, but it was great.
0: One of the problems we had is in the beginning, um, the it wasn't the fire officers weekend, it was the Connecticut weekend. Yeah. And the first year, I remember it, it was um it was it was crazy we had we sent like six buses down there. Mm-hmm. it was um we had a lot of alcohol mm-hmm. that was transported across state yeah. lines um and it was it didn't go well it, yeah. I, it, I think I that was before my time to, you know they a lot of them just wanted to it was getting club fed
1: yeah. and they
0: just wanted to go to the outhouse and oh yeah, we'll go to class, but most of the time they were dozing or they didn't make it or whatever. So eventually the fire commission said, that's it. We're gonna call it the Connecticut Officers Weekend. Yeah. And you had to have, you had to be an officer. Now the good news was the level of participation or the quality of of instruction being taken in was increased, but the numbers just shrunk mm-hmm. and shrunk. And I think now, if I'm not mistaken, PJ might be able to answer this question. I think now we don't even do a bus because I did. I was the bus captain for a couple of years at the end when we had buses. I think now, uh, actually, Mark's here too. Mark actually runs that program. Um, I think now basically everybody just drives themselves down, hmm. right? Mark, Mark. I don't want to pick on you, but is that how that works?
1: You're on mute,
0: Mark. Yeah. We'll see if he wants to come on. I'm here, Mark. Uh, the uh, fire officers' weekend at the National Fire Academy. We don't do any buses anymore, right? Uh, no, no buses anymore, right? So we, but but we just we just uh, signed up and then drive down ourselves. I know you run that, you run that operation, and you do a great job at it. Thank you. I would actually like to get the buses back at some point, but. Um, COVID kind of killed a lot of things and hopefully uh we can get the numbers back up and, and maybe get back to that point at some point. Cause it 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 was we had a lot of people because we're close, right? Whereas yeah. Well the best I've ever done is six hours, the longest I've ever done is 13. But with a bus, the, this bus started on the eastern side of the state, and by the time we got done, we were picking people up. There were six of them. Like they'd start in the four corners or five corners of the state and work their way. all these commuter parking lots and by the time they all met down in in Bridgeport someplace or Greenwich and off we were now we're a a convoy you know heading down to the it just it it brought the group together a lot Mm -hmm. Um, again Mark's done a a, a great job of, of facilitating and making sure People can get down there if they want to get down there and, and, and sure. do that. But it is tough. You know, we don't, it, it, unfortunately, we don't have as many people that go. We do uh, a memorial one night, right? Because we always have a bagpiper or two with us uh, to do that. And then again, it's just, uh, and then there's, there's group dynamic things that we can do and stuff. It's just a great time. And you get you get a good class. And we used to have some some standard people that did a lot, that taught those weekends. And that's pretty much all they did. Oh, is that I, right? Yeah, they did, uh, they did a lot of that. They did a lot of that stuff. And that was a, That was a good program. Well, listen, we're, we're at uh, we're a little bit over an hour. Um, what, what have you, I, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what have you seen from a, because you've watched a lot of leaders, you've created a lot of leaders, and you've worked with a lot of folks that are at the national level that are, are, I mean, you, you work with Bruno, you know, you, you work with Denny, you mm-hmm. all these guys, um, that you run in their circle, but over, but I think there's a, there's, I know there's changes that you have seen since you were in Jersey city as to how people managed other people, um, uh, from a, from a military semi, whatever you want to call that semi-military point of view, uh, to the Leo Stapleton <laughs> point of view and, and, everything in, and, and, and then and Bruno and, and all everything else. What are the, what is the biggest, biggest changes you've seen in how people try to lead other people?
1: I don't know that I've seen as many changes as I've seen common things, Nick. And, you know, maybe I'm a little bit off topic. I, um, I kind of push back a little bit when people start talking about the different generations, X, Y, and Z, and the boomers and all that other stuff. I got a hot flash for you. I know that there's a lot of professors out there making a lot of money, giving lectures about you know, generational differences and all that other stuff. But I think I'd like to simplify it for folks and explain that it's a difference between experience and maturity. And those are the two things that you're dealing with. And if you expect, if you've got 20 years on the job and you're in a busy engine or a busy ladder company and you expect a 22 year old kid to come in and be as smart as you, you're gonna be disappointed. You know, as Einstein said, you know, it depends upon what you're measuring. If you're measuring a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's gonna flunk, you know? So what you've gotta do is meet them where they are and bring them forward. You know little by little if they're not mechanically inclined so help them become mechanically inclined don't say they don't know how to operate a sore of course they don't you know they were taught in the training academy for half a day and and you know they're still unsure they don't want to make a mistake so they're hesitant you got to help them like help people help you i mean you know we weren't born nick and dennis we People came to our assistance, people put their arm around us and showed us the way. People were patient with us. People showed us things. People called us when we were made a big mistake. Or, you know, so we're the product of that. So <clears throat> getting back to the question about leadership, it's there are a couple of things that I would pass along. First of all, it's about trust. And people will not. I and mean, if you're on a fire scene, they're going to follow you. There's no, you give them an order, they're going to do it. But leadership is is more than that. Fireground ground is a poor excuse for leadership. You have absolute authority, and there's no question about that. And it's life or death. And everybody understands that. And they're going to do what they're told. But I'll give you an example. When I made battalion chief, <clears throat> um, they knew, I, I don't know, it just comes up in conversation, they knew I didn't like liver or cottage cheese. <laughs>
0: well, every I just had day this conversation with my daughter.
1: <laughs> there we go. But every day I went to work. I I'd call up a different company. I'd say, uh, you know, what are you guys having for dinner?" And they'd say, uh, "Oh, chief, we're having liver." You know, well, it was a message to me: don't come today. Right. Uh, they don't want me to come, but they didn't have to say no to the boss. Right. All they had to say is, "Oh, chief, we're having liver." Not a good day. Uh, we'll have a pasta next week. do not you come there? Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. When I went to the firehouse, I never talked about the job. Right. Has your daughter doing it in college? Has your son doing it in baseball? Did your mother survivor surgery okay? And you know, has your wife's new job? And you know, all of those different kitchen table conversations, because there was a social environment. They had to get to know me and it's a it's a constant learning process i had to learn to to who they were and, and what made them tick and that and it was a social environment all the time i made deputy chief i had now you know 29 companies but i got around and they knew i was chief of the department i would go around and um just just talk to people and listen to people and if there was a, a controversial issue or an unpopular thing take the time to explain this is what's the reasoning behind it or this so as a result from the time I was a lieutenant until the time I retired as chief of the department I never ever had a grievance filed against me nice in the federal service I had two grievances filed against me in 25 years and both of them were uh, because I picked of a woman over a man for a job. Okay, really neat. And and I and I won them both. Uh, not that I won them both, but yeah, the grievance won. was dismissed. It, it was not. So, um, so you know, people have lives. They have uh, interests. They have talents. So one of the ways that you build trust is learning about that. The second is you know the old message about God gave you two ears and one mouth. You know, you need to listen to people about what's going on. You need to be a little bit flexible. You need to be able to say, hey, you know, I screwed that one up. Um, didn't go as well as I wanted. Um, every, I mean, we had a lot of multiple, alum, not a, a lot of working fires, not a lot of multiple alarm fires in Jersey City in, in my day. After every my time I made battalion and deputy, after the fire, we had everybody together. What did we do? This is the SOP. This is what I expected. You know what happened, and the rule was, you couldn't blame anybody for anything. Right. That was it. No blame. What did you do? Did you have a problem? What did you do to try to fix it? How can we make it better the next time? You know, maybe it was an engine company water supply. Maybe we didn't place the truck the right because the street was narrow or somebody's double parked. You know, all the things that you face in the city. So. Even when it was business, it was always a discussion. It was not a one-way conversation. And I was always, always, even in the fire administration, always the last one to talk. I listened to everybody first.
0: And I got to tell you, that's a skill that I don't think a lot of people have. Or they have not really, um, perf- I don't know if they, anybody could ever perfect it, but they, they, they have a, usually they have a bee in their bonnet or something that particularly that they want to address. Um, and so they're just waiting, they're coming with their answer before they're hearing the whole the whole thing, right? But if you've got a That's team. how we are. I mean, that's how we, we are like, I, I, I'm like, I have to work on that so much. That's just how my brain is wired. Someone comes with a problem, I'm working on the problem before they finish telling me the problem. Yeah. Right? And then again, that's not, that's not necessarily conducive to good Community.
1: So, I, an example for that one, Nick. I would say to him, well, "What solutions have you tried, or what yep. solutions do you think are going to work, and why do you think they're going to work?" Um, and then, and then when I hit, you know, the admin stuff at the fire administration, and even when I was chief a little bit in Jersey City, but mostly when I was at, at, the, at the National Fire Academy, if all of if we were in a room and all of us agreed, I would say the following we're missing something right we we can't all agree there's there's (laughs) something here that's not right and i don't know what it is but he's
0: not here today we're not
1: making decisions (laughs) until uh this
0: right because you need that and some of my colleagues had a real hard time with count point counterpoint yeah i i had some folks that i worked with that were nothing but count counterpoint point, point um but in, in but one of the, my bosses taught me that in everybody there's something good, and sometimes they may actually hit on the head on the nail, and you just weren't seeing it, and you better be paying attention. Yeah. A, a good friend of many of us, uh, uh, guy named Eddie Amor Trudeau, you uh, were talking about the talking about the families and what's going on. He said no matter how you feel about one of your people or how they feel about you. Because it's not necessarily, it not, might not be the way you're directed. It's what, how it, the arrows are coming your way. That That's them. That's not their family. Yeah. And we need to take care of their family. And we need to take care of them, even if they don't want to be taken care of. Right? Yeah. They may find themselves, all of a sudden, they're sick. All of a sudden, something bad happens. You, you can't let that business conflict, um, excuse me. You can't let that business, the business conflict, interfere with caring for your people. And, and 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 in my in my life, I've had some times where I was on the I was on the on the skids, and I was getting beat up pretty good. And it was those people that we took care of, that my deputy and I, that came to our support and said, "Listen, we got your back. Um, we know it's going to be ugly, but we're here and we're gonna we're gonna be with you, right?" Um, and, and, and again, lifelong friends, even though in the beginning, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye. It's amazing with that. You, I know you've seen this as over time, people that you wouldn't care for at all. Right. But you both survived life and you mm-hmm. both survived the fire department. And now you see each other at reunions and stuff and it's Hey, hey how are you doing? Right. And it's all of a sudden your best buddies. And then you go home and you go, I couldn't stand that guy. <laughs> what? Well, what the hell happened?
1: I, uh, I have a, a presentation. I, I as a deputy, I had a fire at a multiple long fire and I, I gave a guy an order and he was killed doing it. And uh, his son was there. He saw his father get killed. Oof. I'm still in touch with the family, and that was in 1993 that happened. But I do a presentation about what led up to it, which you know you can get from almost any NIOSH report. But yeah. then what's it like to be the IC? When that happens, how do you, you know, making decisions and they're twitching and gurgling. Two of them were killed. One of them was successfully resuscitated. They hit a 13,000-volt power line with a ground ladder. And um, they, um, you know, you still had to make decisions. I still had a fire on my hands. And, you know, what you have to do and then what you do, what you can do to prepare yourself mm. to have sufficient brain power. But the after effects, the, the court, you know, you got to go to the funeral. Oh, yeah.
0: You got to You know, know,
1: the depositions, the court cases, the lawyers, you know, all of that stuff. And that came through for me that day and, and those subsequent weeks when the officers were coming to me and the firefighters were coming to me and saying, chief, you know, you were the, the safety nut. That wasn't your fault. We know We haven't lost any faith in you. Don't ever worry about that. You know, we'll support you. And, you know, even to the point, of course, it's Jersey City. So, you know, what do you want us to say to the lawyers? I said, (laughs) tell them the truth. No, no, no. Oh, my God. Let's make sure we have the meeting so
0: everybody knows what they're talking
1: about. (laughs) We don't want you to tell you
0: anything. We just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, my God. So, anyway. So, getting back to that. I mean, that's, you build that trust. That's not something that's going to happen overnight. That's something that's going to happen over months and years of, of um, working with people. And and then the, the last, uh, I, I would always do this. Whenever a family would come to the firehouse, I would always spend a lot of time with the spouse and the kids, telling them how brave their dad was, you know, and how I relied on them. And then when I was a chief officer, you know, I was a lieutenant, a captain, I, you can't do anything. I was a chief officer. So I used to take the kids for a ride in the chief's car nice. and they loved it, you know? And you can do something for someone and they'll appreciate it. But if you do it for their kids or their grandkids. Oh yeah. you're So
0: every day, every, so the kids would come, with my shift, we ate together. Mm-hmm. And on a regular basis, our families would come and we'd eat together. Mm-hmm. So um, if Ed was still in the office, when anybody's family came to visit, he had and he had a box of toys. He had mm-hmm. a box of firematic stickers, and, and all it was yeah. was the stuff that you get in the mail from that yeah. company that sells. Well, the stuff
1: you stole from fire prevention office, yeah, right.
0: <laughs> so, and I and I ended up doing the same thing with with coloring books and stuff. But it was so important; it was just so critically important to my kids yeah. to go see Chief Ed every time they knew he was there because he was a big grandpa. He was just yes. a big grandfather. Uh, and again, he had all these little, just little trinkets and stuff and stuff like that. Same thing. Uh, he had an antique, right? So he had an antique and if there was a parade and he saw one of his guys, kids, he would say, come on, they jump on the truck with him, and then we'd have to follow him down the street. Right. And he wouldn't take them all the way to the end. He'd take him till he saw some other kids from the guys. So those kids got to get off, and then the other kids got to get in. And it was was one of the most important lessons I think there is, is that you don't have to, listen, you don't have to go bar hopping with the guy. You don't have to go to a ball game with the guy. You don't even necessarily have to like the guy. But when he's in trouble or she's in trouble or their family's in trouble uh, and someone has cancer in the family or whatever it may be, Overdose, suicide, whatever—that you you really need to focus as much as you can without insulting anybody or 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 upsetting them by doing that. You really have to focus on that because that is that's those as my boss Ed would say those are the deposits in the bank. Yep. Now you could burn through all of those with one old shit, (laughs) but those are deposits in the bank, and and in the end they may actually see that you're not a jerk, that they may try to figure out why you're actually so testy about this issue or that issue uh, that you you know, you know think, think is as important to them as they
1: are. You know, and it's just-, it's just Another like, thing I'll just throw in Nick and it's just so small, but it's important. Uh, from the day I got promoted to lieutenant until the day I retired as a deputy fire administrator, I never missed a funeral. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I mean, as long as it was local that I could, you know, it was within 60 or 100 miles or something. Um, show up at the wake or show up at the funeral. Um, it means so much to the funerals.
0: I'll tell you something else that rattles me. And I'm sure you've had this. You don't, and this is, for, I mean, the folks that are on still not understand this. You don't realize how much you impact other people. You, you really don't. And it isn't until you lose somebody, and you're at the wake, and the spouse says, "You know, he really loved you," mm-hmm. and and you you knew you had a relationship, you, you know, you knew you had a good relationship. Um, or we just lost a, we just had a, a, a great guy we lost last year, just about a year ago, and uh, I was talking with his his widow last weekend. And, you know, she said, you know, he always talked about the time you guys went to da to teach. He always, he really enjoyed that trip and he really learned, you know, whatever. He said he enjoyed working, whatever it was. You don't, you don't think, and I'm not, I don't mean to sound like I'm bragging, Yeah. but you don't, you don't understand, you don't realize that yeah. you could have some young kid that you, you talked to four times in your entire life in the recruit school. Right, your entire time there, but gave him some little tips, and and they never forget those things.
1: Uh, Nick, I just want to make a correction on just so that I don't mistake anybody. Um, When I say I never miss a funeral, that was not just the firefighter. Was anybody in the firefighter's family? Yeah. Grandparents, spouses, you know. Yeah.
0: Absolutely but then when my grandfather when well, my grandma when my dad died my dad died early the the whole fire administration at, at the fire academy they i think they carpooled mm-hmm. and they all came down
1: yeah that's uh, a big deal
0: all, all those guys right uh, i mean i was doing a program for them at the time but all those guys came and they were there what do you need what do you need what do you need i, I one of the things i say and, and nobody believes it but or i shouldn't say it that way what people say and people don't take it is if you need something give me a call right people don't give any they don't give any weight to that statement but in some cases that's a real legit statement i mean the people that are saying that is uh you know or you have if you have a firefighter that's sick or a family member who's sick uh hey listen you can't get to the school to pick up the kids you call the firehouse Mm -hmm. we will send somebody to get your kids and and either take them back here to make sure they're safe or we'll take them to your house and we'll stay there with them until you can be there. Right. Those are not faults. Those are not just saying things to say things. Those are legit. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think when, when people are going through tough times, so many people say whatever you need or whatever, and they don't take it for what it's worth or they take it for what it's worth. And then all actuality um, in all actuality, there is actually legitimacy in that and truth. In, in in what they're doing no well thank you so much <laughs> do you have any, anything else you want to share
1: No, oh. <clears throat> i had a good time nick uh when's the next uh, where am i going to see you next i'm going to firehouse next week
0: yeah uh, I, I haven't done the firehousing yet uh but i'll see you at the fdsc in april
1: yeah i'll be there yeah. i'm doing uh, a yeah. couple of presentations i think
0: well, let me, and, uh, I guess the other thing I should mention about you, is you're not, you may be retired, but you're not retired.
1: Oh, no. I'm doing so, a lot it, of public it, speaking.
0: It, well, not only that, but you also participate, like, so let's talk about scooters, right?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: You, you went to the, you went, before uh, the New York show, you went to uh, a seminar on the, the, the holes, battery thing, energy, yeah. all that stuff is going on.
1: Huge, it's huge problem. Just and, nuts. Uh, they're building energy storage systems. Now they're building buildings that are going to be totally off the grid. The windows are solar panels that you can see through. The Tesla company is building roof assemblies that produce 600 volts DC. Let me put that in perspective for you. The New York City subway system is 615 volts DC going through the third rail. And they claim, and I don't know, I can't verify it, but they claim that once it's breached, it drops back down like 12 volts or six volts or something. But um, they have batteries inside homes. They have battery energy storage systems in the third floor of high rise buildings. Um, Our fire and emergency services are changing. And the threats that we face are changing. Combined with cross laminated timber construction, they just built a 22-story high-rise building I, in Minneapolis. Are they,
0: what are they doing? Well, don't they remember anything?
1: No, no. So everything old is new again. So
0: it's just—it's just, uh, just absolutely—it's just absolutely. You know what they're doing for when they have a a, a battery car. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to say the T word because it's not yeah. just the T word anymore. it's not
1: just Tesla, no.
0: Yeah. So when they have one of these, right? They send a backhoe. And the backhoe comes out there and digs a hole adjacent to where the car is on fire. They drag the car into the hole and fill it up with water and let it bubble until it stops bubbling. And well, they leave that, it there. They leave it there.
1: That's fine if you can do that, but what are right. you going to do about a car that's on the eighth floor of a parking garage? There you go. And above that parking garage is Our residences, apartment. yeah, or right. apartments, yeah. or office space, and it's just you know, that's a completely different story.
0: I mean, we lost—we've already lost some people in New York. I'm sure there's people oh, that yeah. died other places, right?
1: But right. even then,
0: the firemen don't—they don't, they stay away from that. And that the hazmat, hazmat one, comes and gathers this all up. figures what to do with it and then and then i'll I'll finish my rant with this when (laughs) they take the car to the junkyard they have to park it by itself 25 feet away because it's going to catch fire at least three more times before it finally finishes we just had uh, a fire and it took 600 gallons a minute 600 gallons a minute to get it under control it was a car wasn't we had a school we had a bus too and, and they decided to let it go. But mm-hmm. this was a car, 600 gallons a minute. I mean, San Bernardino put 35,000 gallons on their car. And then they called Tesla and asked them what to do. And they said, keep putting water on it, we think.
1: Yeah, I, it's not funny. I'm laughing because um, it's that we just be creating more and more problems uh, for society, which predicts that our future is going to be pretty promising. Uh, people will still be figuring out new ways to. Uh, Put themselves trouble. in danger.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't. If it wasn't for them, we'd be talking about baseball. <laughs> okay. So listen. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I'll see it. I'll see you out there. I'm, I'm I I can't even believe I'm going back out there again. But I'm I'm just very lucky. Yeah. So um yeah that'll be that'll be a good time as always. Um and I'm sure I haven't done the firehouse. I never went to firehouse even when I was in Baltimore. Hmm. Um uh never never did that i don't know my one of my mentors danny keogh oh, yeah. he said we're gonna go to we're gonna go to the fdic and we we got to do that together a couple of times and those are cherished memories
1: oh bobby does a great job
0: out there you know yep we had bobby hall on the show oh did you uh, yeah yeah he, go back I, a long he has poults he has Pulse on the you know he has his uh Pulse on the uh the fire service yeah you he uh, spilled to the getting salty guys that he, he hired his replacement, and in about two years, I guess, or two or two and a half, three years, uh, this—I don't remember the kid's name, the guy's name—but he will take over the uh, the whole thing.
1: Oh,
0: yep, yep, and uh, and Bobby's going to retire. Good for Bobby. He
1: sit back He's reason. worked hard. He's done a lot of good, um, tremendous he, amount of good. Yeah. He really
0: is, and he he never turns anybody down. Uh, he traveled all the way out here to our fire instructors' month, uh, annual meeting and gave. He's from run. New York.
1: Don't give, give him a break. Come on, he's from New York.
0: No, he's on. He's on. I know yeah, he's in, he's in Tulsa. Out. He's
1: down in Oklahoma. Now, yeah. He's
0: out there with the cows.
1: Yeah, but he's but he's coming home. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, coming about, uh, he's coming back for pizza. He's coming back for pizza and bagels. Don't let him he, lie to you. One
0: no, of <laughs> well, the the president is a real close friend of his, so he was. He was kind of to do oh is that right so listen let me do a, just a couple of if you don't mind i have a sure. couple of shameless plugs listen we are working our butts off so we are we are looking for, listen i'm going to say something one time that i never thought i would uh, actually excited i'm going to say is we are looking for full-time folks to be uh confined space rescue folks we are also looking for full-time folks to be safety folks and those may blend together Right. We may get some folks in there to can find space. We'll give them some education, send us some classes so they can also work in our numerous customers, power plants, and electrical vaults and all the other things that we do. Um, so we are we are hiring desperately. So please, if we you guys have some folks out there that are either at the end of their career or you know them in volunteers or or you got we're particularly looking for rescue folks. So if you have some rescue folks, uh, please send them our way. We'll get them trained up, hooked up, and we will put them almost immediately to work. Um, and then just a little example, I got up at four o'clock this morning. I was teaching a OSHA 30 class till till noon. I then went from there to a, a enter, uh, Eversource, uh, really cool operation where we're freezing some pipes with nitrogen so that we can actually then uh, put a valve in. So we had to freeze the the cooling oil and then ended up here. So you could be doing about anything in any given day. Uh, So we are looking for help and we're always looking for um, people for top rung. Again, people come in uh, testing hose and we'll teach them how to do pump testing. We'll teach them how to do ladder testing. And uh, we are truly, as we mentioned before, an international company. one of our, our ladder technicians actually went to Guam and multiple bases on G and Japan this season. And we believe we may be going to Hawaii as well on the back loop on the trip back next year. So we'll have to see. So we are looking to hire. Uh, Chief, thank you so much for, uh, wait a minute, Jamie, am I forgetting anything else from the top run group? No, I think that uh, you, you said it all. Very good. Chief, thank you so much. We'll see you around. Okay. As always. And uh, we really do appreciate you giving us your time tonight.